And a very good evening to you. Welcome to the Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for tuning in. Coming up in today's broadcast of the Catholic View, we take a look at the Soweto Festival of Golf and we also speak to the author of the book entitled The World Upside Down. So that's coming up a little bit later. Before that, of course, as usual, we begin with some of the stories that have made headlines in Africa and beyond. So do stay tuned. That's coming up next with Mahadi Butelezi. Listen to Radio Veritas, 5.76 a.m. For a change. Bringing you your news headlines from Africa and beyond, Pope Francis reflects on the calling of St. Matthew. Tenfold increase in Boko Haram suicide attack using children and Soweto Festival of Golf kicks off in Pimville, Soweto. During the general audience in St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis recalled the election of Matthew, one of the Twelve Apostles. He said that Christ does not look at people based on their past, their social status, or their appearances. God loves everyone. During his catechesis earlier in the audience, Pope Francis centered his reflection on the gospel account of Jesus calling St. Matthew to be his disciple. Like the tax collector Matthew, every one of us relies on the Lord's grace despite our sins, the Pope said. The church is not a community of the perfect, but of disciples on their way who follow the Lord because they recognize they are sinners and need forgiveness. Jesus is the good doctor, and there is no sickness he cannot cure. God's word is like a scalpel which deeply penetrates us in order to free us from the evil which lurks in our lives. Pope Francis spoke of the importance of the Eucharist as a powerful remedy which renews the grace of our baptism. Drawing near to the Eucharist, we nourish ourselves with the body and blood of Jesus, and yet, coming to us, it is Jesus who unites us with his body. The Pope said the Pharisees did not understand God's heart, for they did not recognize the possibility of reformation and healing, trusting in the law over mercy. It was as though someone gave you a box with a gift inside, and you, rather than looking for the gift, only looked at the paper in which it was wrapped. Only the appearances, the form, but not the grace at the core, the gift which is given to everyone. I'm Ann Schneibel. Just War Theory was the subject of a conference held in Rome which was organized by Pax Christi International and the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace. The conference looked at various themes relating to Just War Theory including the effectiveness of non-violent protests in combating war and oppression. It also examined whether Catholics can continue to support the Just War Theory in the face of modern high-tech militarization. Philippa Hitchin sat down with Pax Christi co-president Marie Dennis to find out more about the origins of the conference and the questions that participants will be discussing at the closed-door meeting. For many centuries, in the face of conflict or potential war, the church institutionally and in advising political leaders tended to turn to the just war theory all the time. 
In the 20th century, however, and most especially in the last quarter of the 20th century, after observing the experience of successful nonviolent revolutions in Eastern Europe, in the Philippines, and so on, the church in teaching began to move the possibility of nonviolence more to the center alongside the just war theory. Some of us believe that the just war theory is not only almost impossible to meet the criteria if they're ever really applied fully, but it is very often used or abused by political leaders to say, oh, well, this war is just and that war is just. And so many of us have been questioning whether that continues to be a useful expression, even sort of in the political and public realm, does it actually prevent creative thinking about nonviolent alternatives. At the same time, we who were followers of Jesus Christ have been studying more and more closely the modeling that he did in his life in the context of a very threatening and violent occupation and a strong movement to overthrow the occupiers that Jesus consistently modeled a nonviolent, very strong, strong enough to get him crucified, but a very strong call for a nonviolent response. Kenyan religious will on Saturday, April the 16th, celebrate a requiem mass for in memory of Sister Mary Judith Canini and her three companion sisters of the Missionaries of Charity of Mother Teresa, who were assassinated on March the 4th in Aden, Yemen. There will also be a prayer for the safety of Father Tom Ozanalil, the Salesian priest living in Mother Teresa's home, who was abducted during the same attack. On March the 4th, two gunmen attacked missionaries of Charity's convent and nursing home in Aden, Yemen, killing Sister Anslem, Sister Judith, Sister Margarita Mukashema, and Sister Reginette, along with 16 other victims. <music> According to the UN Children's Fund, UNICEF, the number of child suicide bombers coerced into acting for the West Africa-based Boko Haram terrorists has risen at least tenfold in the last year. UNICEF said that there were 44 such attacks in 2015 in Cameroon, Nigeria, Shed and Niger. Diane Penn reports. According to UNICEF, more than three-quarters of the children involved in suicide attacks were girls. The tactic may reflect the pressure Boko Haram terrorists are under from the Nigerian military, the UN agency's Manuel Fontaine said. These children should be really considered as victims first and not perpetrators. In many cases, they may be unaware that they've been carrying a bomb. In most cases, they've been indoctrinated and they are too young to really understand the consequences of their acts in this case. UNICEF's announcement comes almost exactly two years after the abduction of more than 200 schoolgirls in Chibuk in northeast Nigeria, where government forces have been fighting Boko Haram separatists for six years. The whereabouts of the schoolgirls are still unknown, and UNICEF says that 2,000 more children have been kidnapped since they disappeared. The conflict has caused massive displacement, and 2.5 million people are now in a food security crisis, according to UN humanitarian aid agency, OCHA. It has been nearly two years since Boko Haram militants stormed the northeastern Nigerian town of Shibok and abducted more than 200 schoolgirls. Outside of propaganda videos created by the Islamist militant group, none has been seen since.
In Nigeria's remote northeast, the families of the missing girls say they are suffering because of their daughter's absence. Chris Stein has more. Life in Nigeria's northeast hasn't been the same since Boko Haram took up arms. The insurgent group's seven-year campaign to impose strict Islamic law in Nigeria's north has torn apart communities, displaced more than two million people, and left 20,000 people dead. But few have suffered like these four men. Their daughters were taken by Boko Haram in its most infamous crime, the 2014 kidnapping of 219 schoolgirls from the government's secondary school in the town of Chibok. Whenever I think of my daughter, I start shaking like I have a fever. The militants stormed the dormitory in the night and herded the girls away. The government vowed to rebuild the school. Almost two years later, the buildings have been demolished, but nothing has replaced them. Boko Haram wasn't finished with Chibok. Militants briefly overran the town in November 2014. In January, two suicide bombers attacked a market in the town, killing at least 10 people. Several of the girls' families have fled. Some have settled here in the state capital, Maiduguri. The uncertainty about the girls has taken a toll. To say that she's alive or she's dead, that we sold the cops, we will be okay than now that she is in bush that we don't know where about. Yakubu and Keke, chairman of an association of the Chibok parents of the missing girls, says 18 mothers and fathers have died since the mass kidnapping. This kind of incident is to bring a lot of uh, sickness. You know, you are not in peace of mind. You can't have time properly for your feeding. You are living in fear, thinking of your young one in the hand of captors. You know, anything may attack you and easily you lose your life. The kidnapping was condemned internationally and sparked daily demonstrations across Nigeria. Nigeria's new president and generals vowed to bring back the girls last year, but no one has been rescued. The fathers of the missing schoolgirls can do little more than seek solace in each other's company. With my friends and colleagues, sometimes I just forget, but when I'm alone, I start thinking about my daughter. Together, they wait and hope. Chris Stein, Balala, Nigeria. Speaking at the beginning of an unprecedented meeting, which marked the start of the process to select the next UN Secretary General, the President of the General Assembly, Morgens Likitoft, said that it is crucial to find the best person to lead the UN into the future as the organization grapples with multiple crises. Tuesday the 12th of April has been lauded as an historic moment for the UN as three candidates appeared to face questions from member states and civil society groups. Matthew Wells reports. The GA president said the process by which the eight candidates so far would be interviewed over three days this week was a game changer. Much of what we are embarking on today is without president at the UN. For the first time since this organization's started 70 years ago, the process for selecting and appointing the next Secretary-General is being generally guided by the principles of transparency and inclusivity, and the dialogues that are beginning today are at the very core of this change. 
Mr Lickitoft welcomed all those around the world who were watching on the UN television network and welcomed the fact that more than 1,000 questions from civil society groups from 70 different countries had been received. Thanks to social media, he said more than 78 million people around the world had been engaged, leading to a short list of 30 questions for the four men and four women due to appear over three days this week. The first to appear and make his opening pitch for the job was Igor Luksic, Deputy Prime Minister and Minister for Foreign Affairs for the Balkan state of Montenegro. Mr Luksic said that the complex global challenges facing the new UN chief demanded that he or she make the organisation more relevant, effective and efficient. Nothing lasts forever but the certainty of change. Therefore, we have to work to be able to accommodate for those that come up. This vision is about ensuring effective and efficient UN system in addressing existing and emerging challenges by extending partnerships and strengthening coordination. We need to reinvent multilateralism through the principles of responsibility, inclusiveness and engagement. With the first two-hour candidate session of the morning completed at UN headquarters, it was the turn of Irina Bokova from Bulgaria, who is the Director General of the UN Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, UNESCO. Speaking in French throughout her opening remarks to member states, she said that she had developed the audacity to run for the UN's top job thanks to her long experience in government and diplomacy. She said the UN and the world at large needed to develop a new confidence and respect for humanity based on the successes of last year with the 2030 Sustainable Development Agenda and the historic Climate Change Agreement in Paris. But her closing remarks focused on the rights of women and hinted at the forceful direction she would steer the UN if she were to become the first woman in charge. I think that the 21st century has to be the century of a true commitment to equality between the sexes. We see today that it is not possible to reach peace or sustainable development without the equality of the sexes. Please allow me to say now that amongst the obstacles which were overlooked and ignored for far too many years is violence against women. She was speaking there through a translator. Now in its fourth year, the Soweto Festival of Golf is an ambitious mix of professional sport and youth development. Held at the Soweto Golf Club in Pimville, Soweto from the 14th to the 17th of April, the festival is the only professional golf tournament held in a township. As it has grown in reputation, the Soweto Festival of Golf has attracted the interest of golfing fraternity, corporates and the local community. Spokesperson for Soweto Festival of Golf, Jimmy Hedbush, has more. These major events have got uh, positive spin-offs for the communities that the event is, ho- is, is, is hosted. You know, in terms of jobs, in terms of skills uh, uh, transfer, and also uh, supporting small businesses in the immediate community. So for us, um, it's just uh, the idea was really to say golf is, is for everyone. You can hear the full interview after the news. And these have been your news from Africa and beyond. Have yourselves a very good evening. I am Mahadi Butelezi.
I would like to thank Mahadi Butelezi for bringing us up to date with some of the stories making headlines in Africa and beyond. This is still the Catholic View coming to you on Radio Veritas 576 AM, otherwise on 870 DSTV Bouquet. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirsch. Coming up next in the broadcast, we talk to Lizzie Wen Chenguluna about her book entitled The World Upside Down, and then we close with the Soweto Festival of Golf. She is a life coach, a businesswoman, an entrepreneur, a feminist, a philosopher, and author. Liziwe Nchengulana is an author who examines the interconnectedness of mind, body, spirit in the context of the world with graceful simplicity as evidence in her writing. Today she talks to us about one of her latest writings. It's a book entitled The World Upside Down. The book The World Upside Down was written by me because I'm a very observant person and I noticed that most of the people in the world are not doing what they are supposed to be doing. For example, to prove that when you go to an office, for example, let's say you're going to home affairs, in the morning you get to the office and you find the person who's serving you at the counter very, very angry because he does not want to see you there because that is not the area where she is supposed to be serving. So in, in the book, I'm detailing how this comes about. So the world is upside down because people are not in their rightful position. So in order for us to serve well with passion, whenever you look at your time, whenever you say, whoa, it's still two o'clock, then it means you are not working where you're supposed to be. But when you say, oh, it's already two o'clock, then you are in the place where you should be serving. Because in order for us to serve well, we must serve with passion. So that's why I wrote to the first book. I like what you're saying. In order for us to serve well, we have to serve with passion. But I also yes. like to add one thing to that is that what I usually say is that uh, when you do something that you love, you do it with passion. You do yes. not complain. But now, uh, how how does your book, The World Upside Down, inspire those people who find themselves in works that, in a work environment that it's not of their preferred choice, but rather of mm. what was there, what was available for them? And has mm. sometimes that may lead a person not to treat um, the other prop the way they should, because they're personally not in a happy space, number one, mm. but they're mm. there because mm. they have to make men ends meet. So how does your book inspire people who are unhappy, for example, in their workspace or probably unhappy in the relationships that they find themselves mm. in, mm. Um, different uh, sorts of things that uh, do affect one's happiness? How does your book then inspire them? Okay, the book inspires one to find out, first of all, why God created them. Because when they start to search their they find they, they, it's easy to find out that God prepared their destiny before they were even born. So the moment they understand that, then they, 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 they become eager to leave the, the, the places where they work because they already know that what they are looking for is already there. But it is not possible when the person does not even know who she is. So the book starts by encouraging, by encouraging people to know who they are so that they can find their correct positions. Because my belief is that, first of all, 
when you find your passion, the passion shows the design, how, what you designed for. For example, I make an example of a vulture. A vulture can live amongst chickens, but the moment the vulture desires to fly high, the design, the design of the vulture suddenly appears. And then the more the vulture flies, the more the vulture becomes a vulture. So you must find your passion to find your design, to find your destiny. So that once the people are assured of the fact that God created them for a for a people, then when they find that people, they find joy. Because that entails leaving everything that is not important. Because when we don't do that, you find that we've got a lot of things that we don't need at the expense of the few things that we need. So I inspire people to find that, and I assist them to find that by those chapters in the book, for example, how fragmented we are, because sometimes when we think we are our bodies, we look more after our bodies than we look after our spirit, or we look more at our after our intellect more than we look at the soul level. So one of the things that is very important is that when the student is ready, the teacher is going to appear. So once the people are one, once the people know that there's some missing link, and then information that is going to ascertain them of the road that are traveling just comes. They need people who are ready to teach them those things. Well, Liziwe, thank you so much for explaining to us about the book entitled The World Upside Down. Basically, a book that reminds us that we need to always be in touch with our spirituality, in touch mm. with our soul. And once we have mm. found that, mm. then we can be mm. stable wherever it is that we find mm. ourselves at. Well, mm. thank you so much for that explanation. But before I let you go, where can we get your books? My, my book ma, is obtainable from Verity Publishers. Verity Publishers has got boys, has got both the hard copy and an ebook on, on the world upside down. Thank you so much, ma'am, for having me, for letting me be the voice that speaks so that people can listen. Thank you very much. And my thanks goes there to Liziwe Nchengulana for talking to us about one of her latest books entitled The World Upside Down. Now in its fourth year, the Soweto Festival of Golf is an ambitious mix of professional sport and youth development. Held at the Soweto Golf Club in Pimville from 14th to 17th April 2016, the festival is the only professional golf tournament held in a township. As it is grown in reputation, the Soweto Festival of Golf has attracted the interest of the golfing fraternity, corporates and the local community. Now, to talk to us more about this year's Soweto Festival of Golf, I spoke to the organizer and spokesperson of the event, Mr. Jimmy Hedbush. Thanks very much uh, for sharing this news with uh, your, your listeners. The event, as you said, started it's on its fourth year now. The whole reason it started, you know, the whole idea was, you know, in South Africa, golf is a big sport, you know. And yet, uh, the traditionally black residential areas, communities, there aren't big tournaments there. You know, it does not reflected in those communities. So we thought it would be a great idea to host a professional tournament, a PJ sanctioned tournament, 
in Soweto, you know, as part of our, you know, country, say, golf is big in South Africa, it's also big in the, in your black communities as well. So that's the idea behind, you know, having this tournament in Soweto. And also, you know, these major events have got uh, positive spin-offs for the communities that the event is, ho- is, is, is hosted, you know, in terms of jobs, in terms of skills uh, uh, transfer, and also uh, supporting small businesses in the immediate community. So for us, um, it's just uh, the idea was really to say golf is, 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 is for everyone, you know. And when you speak of uh, this event being an opportunity to create jobs and also to uplift the youth in that area, is this something that happens only when there is the Soweto Festival of Golf or is it something that you actually started from the very first event up to now and you have actually seen that people have benefited from this uh, on an ongoing basis or is it just a once-off uh, benefit type of thing that happens only on that specific day or on those specific days? Well, the, the event is uh, it's a, it's a four-day event, so it just happens on the over the four days, but the spin-offs are long-term. You know, after the event, uh, uh, for example, we, we host a, a youth golf clinic uh, to bring together about 40, 50 kids which are, uh, are coached in a clinic, but thereafter uh, the kids are then taken over by the Soweto Development uh, um, a program to, you know, so we bring uh, we, we, we get more kids interested in the sport and then the, the program then takes over and, and, and continue uh, training them. And then we also now, since that, uh, from that, that success of the program, we have now started um, in a junior tournament, which now these kids from, from this development program, we had to have a tournament for them where these young, uh, the talented young kids can also showcase their skills, you know, and compete amongst themselves. So the spin-offs really from, from the tournament are quite long-term. You know, as much as the event is once-off, but uh, we've seen that, uh, you know, the, 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 the benefits are, you know. And also what's happening is that uh, the corporates that come and support the Soweto Festival of Golf later on host their own... Um, their own guests and their own events at the golf course, which is also good for for, 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 for the golf course, for the golf club. And how has this uh, festival been received in Pimville, seeing that it's in its fourth year? The community around Pimville is really uh, quite supportive and I say quite involved as well, because also what we do, uh, uh, we recruit additional cages for the tournament from around the, 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 the community. So it's, it's really an event that the, the community has embraced and really support. And seeing that it's in its fourth year and the community in Pimville, as you said, really supports this event, are you hoping to spread your wings as in to take this event to other parts of Soweto or maybe other parts of Gauteng? Well, uh, we really looking taking it to, uh, around our parts of the country where a township has a golf course. Because you find that there are very few townships, black communities, where there are golf courses. Uh, and also golf courses that can host um, 
a professional tournament uh, in the township. So we have been uh, investigating and looking where else we can uh, duplicate and take this event to other parts of the country, you know, but it has, of course, had to meet the requirement of uh, hosting a professional tournament because we've seen the benefit it has for, for the community. Well, Jimmy, those are all the questions I had for you. I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to add. Just to say, you know, for such an event to be a success, it really needs support from corporate and government to make it a, a, a success. Thank you. Thank you very much. And my thanks goes there to Jimmy Hadbush for talking to us a little bit more about this year's Soweto Festival of Golf, now in its fourth year. And of course, taking place in Pimville at the Soweto Golf Club in Pimville from the 14th to the 17th of April this year. And that brings me up to time. You've been listening to The Catholic View on Radio Veritas, a program produced and presented by Shayla Pirsch. Should you wish to get in touch with me, feel free to send me an email, shayla at radioveritas.co.ca. Until tomorrow at the same time, thank you so much for listening. God bless you and ciao, ciao.